You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. I love when the Spirit is clearly moving. So one of the, uh, so the scripture that Troy read is actually one of the theme scriptures that we're going to be studying today, and I had no idea, but the Holy Spirit did. Um, it's great to be together, um, loving this series as we really get to think about our relationships with each other and how important and how vital they are. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question, as you can see, is it there on the screen? Okay, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? You know, when you do a search on the internet, you find, a, I found a list that's very similar to this list, that he is our God King, Lord, Saviour, Healer, Refuge, Provider, Strength, Defender, Protector, Peace, Joy, Life, my all, my everything. And that's a great list. Incredible list. But there's one thing missing in that list. What do you think it is? Friend. Friend. And no matter whatever list I looked at, it wasn't there. And I thought that was very interesting. Because Jesus calls us, yes, to be all of those things within our lives, but he gives us probably the most special invitation of all, and that's for him to be our friend and for us to be considered his friend. And so today we're going to be talking about friendship with Jesus. So I had written this whole sermon earlier on in the week, and I just wasn't happy with it. So I started again, and hopefully this is what the Spirit is wanting us to get to hear today. The idea of friendship with God didn't start with Jesus. So in, in the Old Testament, we see Abraham, who was considered to be a friend of God. Quite amazing. So he was the father of faith, but also the friend of God. Can you think of anyone else who was also mentioned to have a friendship with God? Moses! You guys are good. Excellent. Yeah. So the Bible says in Exodus 33 that that Moses would go into the tent of meeting, into the tabernacle, and that God would speak to him as one would speak to his friend. That's pretty amazing. So we have these two characters out of the whole of the Bible, and that is it, who had an experience of friendship with God. That is it, too. You would like to think and hope to think that there would be way more than that, but it seemingly is only two. That is until Jesus comes along and says, you know what, this friendship with me is open to all of you, to all of us. Every one of us has the potential and the capacity to be able to enjoy a friendship with the God incarnate. That is pretty amazing. Do you believe that God has called you to that personal relationship with him. It's a very special thing. Okay, I was reading an article that was, uh, I found quite interesting, and this was a quote that came up within it. And it says, you were made for friendship with God. God does not just want us to know him or know about him. He wants us to know him and experience a friendship with him. Does that, though, reflect our day-to-day experience with God? And the reason I say that is because that list that I put up first of all, 
I think many of us enjoy God and Jesus being all of those things within our lives. But actually, Him being our friend, that takes our relationship with Him to another level altogether. And that's what we're going to be able to examine and explore a little bit today. So today is going to be somewhat of a teaching sermon. And I'm going to encourage you to please make notes. Because there's lots of scripture, lots of points being made. Um, I know that many of you take notes already. Some of us have got out of practice with that. But I'd like to encourage us all, if we can, to make some notes. Okay? And the purpose of this is to kind of end the first part of our series when we've looked at real friendships and to bridge as we move into healthy relationships and to see the connection between the two. Okay, so that's what today's message is about. But let's pray. Father, we are so, so grateful that you sent your son Jesus to come and die for us, to live for us, to have a relationship with us, so that we could be considered your friend and his friend. We thank you, God, for the amazing ways in which he already loves us, and you love us, and you shower your love upon us every single day. But we pray, God, that today there'll be something that resonates with our soul, with our spirit, that will draw us closer to a deeper relationship with you than we've ever, ever experienced and enjoyed. We pray for your spirit to move powerfully, Father. Teach us. May our souls be fertile soil so that your word can grow deeply and richly among us. Thank you for this community of believers. Continue to help us, Father, to bring you glory here in West L.A. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a theme passage, as, we, as you, you would probably think of, is this verse in John 15, 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you Friends. Wonderful passage. Beautiful passage. Now, this passage, though, comes at the end of a bit of dialogue that Jesus has. So this verse, even though this is the one that we think of, this is not our starting point in order for us to understand what this means and what this looks like. Because there's a caveat to what Jesus is saying. And this is the caveat. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What do you notice? What word jumps out at you there? If. You see, it is a conditional statement. He says, I want you to be my friends. You are my friends if you do as I command. This means if we don't do what he commands, are we his friend? No, we're not. Now, now, I have to say this. I do think it's possible... For us to go through our entire Christian life having a relationship with Jesus. But it looks very different from going through our entire lives and having a friendship with Jesus. That's a different thing. Jesus could be our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Redeemer, our Strength. All of that incredible list that we saw at the beginning. We could come to church, we could be religious, but we could at the same time be missing out on an intimate, deeply life-changing relationship with Jesus that we have been created for. As a result, I don't think it's a salvation issue if we never attain that, but I do think we ourselves miss out. And the reason why I say that is because before these verses, Jesus lays out the first stage of a relationship with him, and we call that discipleship. So look at this. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you keep my commands, plural, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. You see, Jesus says the first stage of of a relationship with him is by us becoming a disciple of his. And that is embracing and living out and carrying out his plural commands. He does say there's one specific command, singular, that we have to put into practice in order to become his friend. And that's what we'll look at in a moment. You know, many of us came out to this family of churches with lots of religious experience. Grew up going to church, going to mass, whatever it might be, but never truly understanding the call of discipleship. I was definitely one of those. I didn't know what it meant to walk like Jesus, to put his teachings into practice. I didn't even know really what those teachings were. I needed help. Many of us needed help. We needed to be guided through the scriptures to understand what those commands were and how they apply to our lives. And God is doing great things within this community. Like there's so many people, regular people who keep coming out to church and we are so glad that you are here. But why has God brought you here? Why are you here? You've seen something among us that you think that is pretty special. But what is God trying to do in your life by you being here? If you're not a disciple of Jesus, and I don't know, you may well be, may not be, have you really been taught the scriptures properly, deeply? Do you know the Bible really well? Has anyone sat down with you to help you to examine your life as you look in the mirror of God's word? If you haven't, let us help you to do that. Because that's the first stage of this relationship with Jesus, for you to become a disciple. The second stage, though, is then we go from being a disciple to the potential of being a friend with Jesus. And this word, command, is singular. It's very specific. And he's talking about not these general terms of how we should live our lives, but one very specific command that if we do that, he says we will then be his disciple. And this is the command. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You are my friends if you do what I command. So do you see the difference? It's one specific command that he calls us to obey. And if we do that, he will then consider us his friend. Now, before we get into how to obey this command, let's talk about just this idea of friendship with Jesus for a moment. Friendship with Jesus for the disciples must have been an amazing thing. Can you imagine just being around the Son of God every day for three years? How loving, welcoming, warm, fun, friendly. It just must have been incredible. And so Jesus is saying to them, listen, by the way, I'm going to be going soon. And I'm going to be leaving this friendship that we've had physically. I'm going to go. And you won't have me in the same way as you had. And life is going to be really hard. In in chapter 15, he tells them what's going on. He says, you're going to face persecution. People are going to desert, you know, the fellowship. But I'm still with you. 
and I'm still going to be your friend if you love one another. So he's preparing them for what is to come. He says, don't worry, even though physically I will not be here, we can still be friends. And so as a result, that applies to us as well. That Jesus invites us to enjoy the same level of friendship, even though he's not physically here with us. I was reading an article. I was reading an article from Psychology Today uh, about traits of good friendship. And this is what came up. I really liked these. So you have this list of integrity, caring, congeniality. Congeniality kind of just means pleasant to get along with and to be around. See, these are the traits that God wants us to have with one another. And you could perhaps think about one of your best friends and you could think, that's who that person is for me in all of those areas. I've got a couple of friends that tick every one of these boxes. Very special people. Very special. God wants us to have these types of traits with one another and in our relationships with each other. But this list could very easily be who Jesus is for us every single day of our lives. There is not one of these qualities that Jesus does not personify for us every single day. Is that a friendship though, if Jesus is the one giving us these things daily? Is it a friendship? I don't think it is. Because it's one way. It's just Jesus being these things for us and to us. And they're amazing. And, and I'm not saying that God didn't design it that way because he did, because he is our friend in this way. But a f- true friendship is reciprocal. It's both ways. It's mutual. And that is why Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Are you keeping up with this? Alright, awesome. So the way that we get to enjoy the deepest level of friendship with Jesus, the way that we get to reciprocate these incredible friendship traits of his is by loving one another the way that Jesus loves us. It's by sharing those traits with each other. And that way our friendship with Jesus becomes complete. That, by the way, is why we come to church. That's why we're part of a community, so that we can practice putting this into practice. We can practice deep, loving relationships to grow in our relationship with Jesus, so that we can experience the deep koinonia, true, deep spiritual friendship. Because without that level of love, we rob ourselves of the friendship with Jesus that we've been created for. But secondly, Jesus doesn't just say, oh, love each other. There's a second part to this, and he says, love each other as I have loved you. So what was the source of their love? It was his love for them. His love for us. It wasn't their own limited, flawed, subjective love. Because every one of us, have been loved in different ways over the years by different people. Some of us come with baggage, we've been harmed, we're in trauma, and it's very difficult for us to love. Others of us have just had love lavished on us our whole lives, and it just overflows. But we're not all in the same place. 
And so Jesus says, don't just love by how you've been loved by people, because unfortunately dysfunction is the gift that keeps on giving. He says, love as I have loved you. He becomes our standard. He becomes our source of strength. Not the limited love that we've maybe received. Okay. So when we're called to love as Jesus has loved, it's really important that we think about how has he shown this? How has he modeled it for them? Now, for the disciples, they were around him for three years. So they got to see his interaction with them. They got to experience what that looks like so they could immediately think, oh, Jesus loved us in this way, we can do the same. And that's why partly we have the gospel, so that we can see Jesus' interaction with the disciples. But in 1 John 4 verse 19, the Bible says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You know, 1 John 4 is such an amazing chapter. And your homework, if you want any, is to study that out in relation to all of this. It's a pretty amazing passage. And I think, and I'd read this verse for years and years in the wrong way. Because I had read this as, we love God first. Oh, sorry, we love because, sorry, we love God because he first loved us. And that's true, isn't it? Like, there's nothing false in that. But when you read the context of 1 John 4, what it actually says is this. We love each other because God first loved us. You see, the true reflection and response of God's love for us is not just to love God back, but is to love one another with that same level of intense, deep love that God has shown us. That's the correct context of this. That's the way that we should be putting this into practice. And this can be seen earlier on as we look at the verse that Troy read as well. Okay. So it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see this word ought in there. It actually, in the Greek, it means we have a moral obligation to love one another. So we're getting into the realm of kind of Christian ethics. You know, America is number one in many things. And a lot of them are good things, right? But there are some things that America is number one in that aren't so good. And one of them is individualism. You've heard of that? It exists within the realms of social sciences. So you see it pop up in psychology and philosophy and sociology. And individualism is the philosophy that puts self at the center of your universe. That whatever you do, whatever you focus on, whatever you are striving to attain, it is for the benefit of you, of me, of I, first and foremost. What do you think about that as a way to live your life? That's the American dream, right? Started out in the 1960s, that's where it came from. America, Britain, France, Germany, that's probably the top four or five countries where individualism is, is really strong and prevalent within society. How do you think it's working out for our society? Pretty bad. The modern version of individualism is called expressive individualism, 
which basically says, I have the right to choose to be who I believe I've been created to be, who I want to be, regardless of how it impacts and affects the world around me and my community that I belong to. We see it in school, we see it in politics, we see it everywhere. I don't have time to look into much more detail on this, I'd love to at some point. But it's fascinating because the church is not immune to individualism. This is a beautiful place, a wonderful community. It's amazing. But if we're not careful, we can allow individualism to creep into the community of God where it has no place, or very little place, let me say that. How does it find its way in? Well, in, in some churches, individualism finds its way in by people becoming attendees rather than members. And just stay on the periphery. And it's almost like, well, how is this church going to meet my need? And if it does, then I'll begin to engage more and more. Rather than saying, I'm here in this community. God has brought me here. I'm gonna, what can I bring to this community? How can I serve? How can I give? How can I love? That's the opposite. That's collectivism, if anything. But it's completely different approach to what is this gonna, how is this gonna benefit me? What is in it for me? Individualism also says that you should be able to embrace Christianity on your terms. That it's totally okay for you to have your version of what it looks like to be a Christian and find the church that suits that paradigm in which you want to exist within. Regardless of what the gospel says, regardless of what the Bible teaches, it's all about you. Individualism says... When, when you're called to serve or to care or to step up in some way to help benefit the community, an individualistic answer says, well, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? How will it benefit me? It has no place within biblical, gospel-centered Christianity. Because in gospel-centered Christianity, instead of looking inward... We look upwards and we look to God and secondly, we look to one another. When we're called to give and to share and to care in, through true koinonia, it has no place. It doesn't work. It destroys the fabric of what God is trying to create. So I would love, as I said, to talk a bit more about that at some point. But if any of that has resonated with you, because I think we all have to be careful because it's, it's pervasive. It's all around us. But we've got to think and wrestle with that temptation. Just because the world is doing it that way doesn't mean to say we embrace it as disciples of Jesus. See, we, we march to a different drum. Okay? All right, let's move on. So, this passage in, in, in 1 John 4, 11 and 12. He goes on and Jesus says, or John says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. So remember the framework of what we're existing in, of what we're in. We're looking at how we become friends with Jesus, okay? And so we do it by loving one another. But this is a very profound statement that John is making. You see, this word here 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, is exactly the same word that Jesus uses in John 15, where he talks about abiding and remaining in the vine and in Jesus. It's the same word. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a second. But why does he talk about no one has ever seen God? And then he talks about loving one another. You see, God is spirit, so he cannot be seen. But God is love, which means he can be experienced. We get to see God. We get to have a theophany to see God every time we love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. His presence becomes manifested within our community through our love for one another. Through our mutual acts of love for each other. And I know in this family, there is so much love. You know, it it was beautiful just hearing Deanna and Troy share earlier on just about the love. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many acts of love within this community. It's All of us could stand up and share how we've been touched and loved by someone else within this family. But what the Bible says is that we get to see God in this community when we love one another. Love is the greatest evidence of God's presence and work within the church. Love is the greatest presence of God at work within the church. You know, if we're not careful, we can measure the evidence of God's presence or work as something other than love. You know, our family of churches, um, at one point in the 90s, early 2000s, was one of the fastest growing churches within America, if not the world. Pretty amazing. And the growth and the numbers that we experienced, we were guilty of using that as evidence of God's presence. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't love, because there definitely was. But sometimes the strategies, the intensity, the focus, the people took center stage instead of love. And that's just to be honest. But the truth is, all of us have a part to play now in being a church that truly reflects God's love first and foremost in all we do and everything that we do. And I strongly believe that the growth and the numbers will take care of themselves. If God is at the center and love is at the center. And so we have to ask ourselves then, well, what is my part? What am I doing to help bring love and manifest God's love within this community? This is the way we do it. The passage here then goes on and says, when we love one another, his love is made complete within us. You know, there's many places in the Bible that talk about maturing in our faith. We can think about Ephesians and Hebrews and James The true measure of maturity is not knowledge, by the way. Because what does it say in 1 Corinthians 8? Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up the person. Thinking of themselves more highly than they should. 
Maturity also is not position or title or popularity or fame because they are self-glorifying. The true measure of faith and maturity is the manifestation of God's love poured out into our lives and shared to others. So as we practice love, and by the way, this second part of our series is all going to be looking at ways in which we can love one another more deeply. So I'm not giving you a ton of practicals today. I'm laying a foundation. But as we do that, God's love grows and completes us. It brings us to maturity every time we choose to love. So whenever you, so you know, Shri and I were sick recently, we had covid People came and brought us some meals. Thank you so much. So grateful. So grateful. When you did that, God's love was made that little bit more complete in you through that act of service. Whenever you pray for someone, for their children, for their family, for their job situation, you are manifesting God's love and his love is becoming more complete within you when you do that. I was reading, I was listening to a sermon, he was talking about how prayer is a true reflection of how much you actually love someone. If you pray for that person, if you claim to love that person, but you don't pray for them, do you really love them? I was convicted. (laughs) Very convicted. But whenever you pray for someone, God's love is made complete within you. Whenever you spend time counseling someone, maybe in a difficult marriage situation or a personal financial issues or things that they're going through, where you give up of your time and you pour yourself into them, God's love is being made complete in you. In your small groups, in your family groups, they are little hubs of God's love. That's why, by the way, they're called small groups. They're not called large groups or big groups because it's very difficult to really influence each other in the same way when they're too big. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. If it sticks, then, you know, amen. But the reason why we have them is so that we can practice This tangible love with each other in a very practical, meaningful way. It's very hard to do it when the group went, if we were all this, and this was our only way of meeting together. That's why the small groups are so important. You know, in Galatians 6, the Bible says, don't grow weary in love, especially to the family of believers. Because every time you do it, God is completing you. He's bringing you on to maturity, that little step, that little increment more and more. What a beautiful way to look at the acts of service, the things that we do. Therefore, we don't even need to think about what's in it for me. What's in it for you is that you're becoming more like Christ. That's the greatest blessing of all. And when we do that, God becomes more and more manifest within our community. You know, the second part of our series, as I spoke about, we're going to look at the one another scriptures. And there's plenty of them, but we're going to just focus on six or seven of them for the rest of the year. So what have we discussed today? Well, what we've discussed is preparing ourselves, laying down the foundation for God to sow incredible seeds of faith and love 
by putting these verses that we'll look at over the next few weeks into practice. But for today, we've looked at through our love for one another, we become friends with Jesus and God's presence is manifest among us. That is why we love. That is how we become friends with Jesus. Individualism, as I spoke about, has no place. But thankfully, Jesus is our constant role model. So as we transition into communion, the very best act of love, of course, was Jesus and was his sacrifice. His sacrificial love that he made for the entire world was the highest level of love that we could ever experience. And at that highest level of love, what does Jesus say to us? He reminds us that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, this is what Jesus did for us. And this is therefore what he asked us to do for one another. The way that we do this is by loving and laying down our lives and loving each other in the same way that Christ did. Where in your life maybe is God calling you to love? If you can identify that and pray about that, simply remember that God loved you first and go with that as your strength. I hope this has been helpful. I know there was a lot in there. As I said, it's foundational that God can build on. But take it, pray it, pray through it, look at the scriptures, and really ask God to show us all where he wants to take us. Let's pray for the communion at this time. Father, we are very grateful, Lord, for your amazing, amazing word. God, your scriptures are here to transform us and mold us and shape us into the likeness uh, of your son. We thank you for him that the one who laid down his life for us. We pray that his death, God, will never be in vain. God, that he, we will allow his love and his sacrifice to transform us individually, but also then to transform this entire community to truly represent you so that you can be manifest here in West LA. Thank you for the great things that you were doing already. This is such a loving place. But we pray, God, we know that you are not done with us yet. And so we pray, God, that we will allow Jesus' love, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, to truly be at work within our lives, to give life to our mortal bodies, and to give love to our sometimes selfish hearts that we can have. We love you so much. We're grateful for Jesus. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.